to live a meaningful life does not mean to live a simple life or an easy life or a, a life that all your wishes and dreams come, come true. You live a meaningful life because you have values and you have beliefs and you do the best you can to bring them out to play and, and to make sure they happen properly. And everyone has values and things that they believe in, things that they want to promote or, or, or think that they are important enough to, to work hard for or to dedicate their life for them to happen. And that does not change when things don't go your way. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is The Orthodox Conundrum. This is The Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. Two weeks ago, in episode 150, I spoke with Rabbi Alex Israel about the challenges that face us when people we love leave the religious lifestyle that we had hoped they would maintain. A week before that, in episode 149, Rabbi Pesach Somer talked about facing a religious crisis. And two weeks earlier, in episode 147, Shoshana Keats Jaskol talked about disappointment and faith when rabbis let us down. Nietzsche said, when you look long into an abyss, the abyss also looks into you. Today, I present a very different sort of discussion about a horrible situation where someone retained his sense of meaning, faith, and belief, despite staring into the abyss. Ephraim Rimmel experienced just about the worst thing that a person could experience and somehow moved forward with his belief in God and Torah intact. He acknowledged that his values were updated, but the same values that drove him before still drive him today. This was a very difficult discussion, and frankly, it's not easy listening. Yet it presents a testament to belief that survived in the face of unimaginable challenges. I'm not sure I would call this inspiring or terrifying or a bit of both. But if we are to face life honestly and boldly, we need to listen to Ephraim's story of tragedy and faith. Ephraim Rimmel, thank you very much for joining me today on the Orthodox Conundrum podcast. Thank you for inviting me. You have a story of both tragedy and inspiration. I'm not sure how else to describe it except that way. I really have very little to ask. I just want to be someone who listens. I think that I need to hear and my listeners need to hear your story, what happened to you and what happened afterwards as well. So let's begin the way you would like to begin. Let me put it like that. Can you please tell us your story? Um, Sure. So my name is Ephraim Ermel. I was actually born in Chicago. Uh, My parents met Aliyah in 1989 when I was five. And we were living a regularly normal regular life, nothing uh, too exciting. Uh, we went on Shlichut through Torah on actually back to Chicago from 2010 to 2014. Who was we? We was uh, my wife, Tibi, uh, and I. And at the time, we had two children that went with us on Shlichut, Itai and Leah. Uh, in Chicago, Amichai joined us. And once we returned, Hariel was born. And then ultimately... Uh, Noam was born in uh, November 2019. And uh, again, life was relatively regular, nothing too exciting to be. Once we came, once we arrived, I was an English teacher. I was a Kala teacher. Um, I was running the Yerushalayim region of the Ezra Youth Movement. Mm-hmm. And um, again, everything was relatively normal. 
on uh, the November 30th, 2019, cousins of mine from uh, Teaneck came to visit in Israel for the weekend. Uh, we went out with them on Saturday. That was Saturday. We went to visit with them Saturday night. Uh, we went out to a restaurant. The children uh, were by my aunt's house. They ate pizza, watched a movie, regular regular Saturday night. And towards midnight, uh, we came back to my aunt's apartment. She lives in the uh, Yerushalayim. Uh, Itai already fell asleep on the couch. I remember picking him up, putting him into the car, and started to drive home. And the car was uh, Tippy and me. Itai, who was 12 that day, his birthday was uh, Gimel Kislev, uh, which was already Mutzay Shabbat Sunday. Uh, and Noam, our baby, was three weeks old. Started driving. We got onto the Begin Highway in Yerushalayim, going north towards Moti'in. Uh, the Begin Highway connects into the 443 Highway. And when we got to the Giva'adzev Junction, um, we stood at the red light. And that is the last thing I remember. The next thing I remember is that when I wake up in Shavit Tzedek Hospital two weeks later. When I wake up, obviously, I don't know. It's two weeks yet. And takes me time to figure out where I am and what's going on. And the rumor that I woke up uh, uh, spread, one of the doctors comes into the room and says, uh, Ephraim, do you know who I am? I said, uh, no. Who are you? I said, I'm Dr. Schwartz. Said, nice to meet you, Ephraim Rimmel. He said, uh, yeah, I know who you are. Do you know why you're here? I said, uh, no. He said, well, there was a car accident. How do you feel? I was on enough drugs at the time to make sure I was feeling great. So I said, Everything's okay with me. Uh, he asked me if I remembered something from the accident. I said, no. He didn't want to bother me too much. So, okay, I'll get back to you later. And then um, the next morning, uh, he returned to the room. You know, I still did not remember anything from that car accident. And then he he told me what happened. He told me that the uh, car accident was a little uh, severe, as he put it. He described the uh, surgeries I went I, I went on my back, on my stomach, and basically said that he doesn't think I'll be able I'll be able to walk again. Before I had time to really understand what that meant, he told me that Itai is in critical condition and fighting for his life. And when, before I had time to ask anything about that, he said that Sibi and Noam were killed on set. Nothing really prepares you in life to hear the worst news you could possibly get. Uh, you can't ever imagine hearing that, and you can't ever be prepared hearing something like that. The first question I was able to ask was, was is the car accident my fault? And I, uh, he said, no. I said, oh, come on. You know, This isn't time to, to, to feel bad for me. Tell me what happened. Then he told me that there's, you know, there's a police report, there are the... There are cameras. Um, I stood at the red light, and a driver hit me in, in the back um, going 110 miles per hour, 172, 174 kilometers per hour. said, hey, there's nothing you could have done. It's really not your fault. At that point, I asked, where, where are the other children? Because we left three children at home. And uh, at that point, my in-laws moved in to my house to care of the kids. My parents basically moved the Shari Tzedek to take care of me and Itai, and family was really uh, spread thin. Oh, wow. And um, then he asked me one more question. 
So we have to make a decision about Itai. So okay, what's what's the story? He described uh, Itai's situation at the time. Here, his left leg was amputated already beneath a beneath a knee. He went through severe surgeries, very complicated ones of his stomach and his one's head and his skull, all kinds of all kinds of things. And uh, the debate was if to perform another surgery or not. I said I. I didn't go to pre-med. I have, I have, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, you're the doctor. Do whatever you understand. And and he ever said that, as they say. And uh, he said, "This isn't a this isn't a doctor's decision. This is a parent decision." Itai was described as a which literally means a sick person who is uh, leaning towards death, which isn't only a medical term; it's also a halachic term. When someone is severely injured and they, I mean, if you want to do things that will make this situation better, it's only making things worse. And uh, sometimes um, we understand that we want to do things that make things better, but at the end of the day, uh, the outcome sometimes isn't what we wished for. And uh, while I was sleeping, as I call it, uh, the biggest uh, people could understand these situations both in the medical term and in the halachic term, uh, decided not to perform the surgery, that the situation was too delicate. And uh, when I wake up, we have to make the decision again, and then we decide to go forward with the surgery. And at that point, I try to figure, I'm trying to think to myself, what am I supposed to focus on? What am I supposed to deal with? How, what am I supposed to deal with first? My rehab, children's situation, Itai's situation, or the loss? Of Tsipiano. And I remember then a sentence that I heard from Rav Amital, and Gush. He had a saying, I'll say it in Hebrew first, A good question is better than a not good answer. The first time I heard him say that, I thought he was talking about the question he asked in Shir. He asked a question in Shir. One of the guys gave an answer that wasn't good enough in his mind. And then he thought, you know what? I, better off with my question than you're not good answer. Then, and the Sarabit David, Rafa Mital, as a Holocaust survivor, always gave a very meaningful talk. And he said the same thing about the Shah. He said that during the time of uh, the founding of the State of Israel, the saying was that the founding of the State of Israel is the answer to the Holocaust. And he said he doesn't accept that answer. Not because he wasn't a Zionist or he didn't believe in the miracle of the founding of the State of Israel, but six million the question is better than the answer. For the first time in my life, I understood what that really meant. Because there's no answer to why or what I'm supposed to do with this or how I'm supposed to continue. And I don't think I'm a righteous person that I'm be giving any sayon or a wicked person that deserves this kind of uh, punishment. I don't know. And it's very weird not to know. Nowadays, we're used to asking Google and getting 100 answers in a second. And, and uh, there's no answer. There's no answer to this. But I understood that I don't understand. And it doesn't make it easier, but that notion of realizing that there are things that are bigger than you and things that we don't understand, it gave me a... It, it put it in some kind of a of a frame of realizing that Hashem's ways are not ours and um, our thoughts are not His. And obviously the same way, the other way around. 
and understanding that I really don't understand and realizing that I don't know what's going on. And um, at that point, I, I, I'm healing up two and a half weeks after I wake up, about five weeks after the after the accident, I moved to a rehab facility in Tel Shomer. At that point, uh, the doc basically tells me um, nothing's going to change. You're you're going to I'm going to you're going to be paralyzed. I am paralyzed from um, from my from the middle of my stomach uh, and down. Basically, T six uh, for those of you who uh, who know the human body good enough. Uh, from the middle of my spine uh, down, um, paraplegic. You basically have to learn to how to do everything. With your hands, you know, sitting up, getting dressed, uh, moving around, bed, moving from the bed to your chair, you know, basically trying to do everything you can, but only with your hands and and, and no legs, you know, basically no stomach uh, muscles, it's basically everything with your arms and hands. Uh, he tells me that I can be independent in the wheelchair, which at the point at the time sounds crazy and doesn't make any sense. We can be independent when you're sitting in a wheelchair, but you have to start working hard. You have to get used to a wheelchair. And to me, getting used to wheelchairs is not a problem because getting because my disability is the easiest of my issues. At the end of the day, you know, there are technical solutions to pretty much every technical problem. Sitting in a wheelchair, okay, so there are, you know, yeah, there's a there's a ramp, there's an elevator, there's a you know, there's all kinds of uh, fancy equipment that is uh, put together nowadays that could help. And there's more and more awareness and there's more and more uh, things that are accessible. So there's usually many good ways to get along and, and figure out what needs to be done. And it, it, that's not the problem. Problem is the children have to live a life without their mother and with a father that can't do as much as he used to. Problem is um, not knowing what's going to be with Itai. Will he wake up? When he wakes up, what he'll, he'll be able to do, but worse, what he won't be able to do. And of course, uh, coping with uh, the loss of uh, Tipi and Noam. You know, I, I, the simplest example, the simplest way it comes out to play is uh, how many are you? It's a very tricky question. We're seven minus two. Itai comes home. He's with another guy. <laughs> the caregiver. It, it's it's complicated. It's not a simple question, and it comes to play all the time. You know, you're used to thinking in a in a specific number. You're used to thinking as a couple. You're you know we're three good three good friends, three sets of couples that we were always uh, did things together. So you think well, okay when they come to visit you, you're assuming you're six. It takes time to realize that you're only five. And, um, you know, many different things like that. And for that, for, for to be getting used to the wheelchair was the, was the easiest part. But getting used to the fact that life is, is totally different and life is, is different and it's, it's changed and it's not something that we understand in a regular way. I can't say that at the beginning, I understood that right away. It's something that, that develops in time. I think, first of all, you're in survival mode. And then you think, okay, about the children, and you don't want to make you want to make sure that they don't suffer anymore. And yeah. slowly but surely, you understand that if I'm here, then I guess there's a reason for it. If I survive this, then I guess there's something 
left for me to do. I have things to do. I have missions to accomplish. I have a meaningful, there's still meaning for my life uh, to live. And I have to uh, accomplish all these different things and fulfill the different things uh, that I believe in or I want to to accomplish. And um, that's how I start Rhea. Can I ask you, Ephraim, just interrupting for a moment, that realization that there's meaning in your life at this point, was that something which took a while to develop or is that an immediate realization? Was it something that came out of desperation or was it something that you kind of realized as soon as you realized the horrible situation? So I, I, I don't, th- if I think about it, I, I don't, I don't recall it as a, say, I realized it right away. I don't think I, I was, I think the first couple of days, you're just in survival mode and you just think about, well, you know, be cynical, you, you can't do anything. Uh, so I'm here, I'm stuck. There's, there's nothing else for me to do. I got to do because I'm here. So I guess I should do the best I can. But then slowly realizing that, that if I'm here, then, then there's something, there's a meaning to it. And somebody obviously thinks that I'm here for a reason and, and I, I can accomplish things and I, I'm able to do things. And even though it seems at the time very complicated and maybe even not realistic, uh, to do some of those things. You know, obviously, lots of people believed in me and encouraged me and gave me a lot of support. Uh, like my family, my friends, people I have no idea who they are, who, who were davening and, and thinking and sending messages. And and it's really, uh, it was a really heartwarming feeling realizing that so many people uh, were invested in, in, in my story and in, in what happened to us and wanting us to get better. Um, there was a link. To, to say to Hillel, um, which is very common in Israel, they send a, they they open up a there's a Tehillim website that you sign up, you write the name, start spreading it out. Sixty five thousand, more than sixty five thousand prakim of Tehillim were said for that specifically. I don't know so many people, and I know many 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 Tehillim were said not through that link, you know, in shuls and schools and on Shabbos and. In the States, people uh, were using a different kind of WhatsApp groups or all kinds of different ways to do it. Um, it's unbelievable. Uh, yes, our story uh, is is not regular on the one hand. But on the other hand, unfortunately, we all hear lots of different sad uh, stories. Uh, but I, I don't know if my friends or my family were, were, were working very hard to make sure that this is spread out and their friends spread it out. And it really really got to many different places in the world. Uh, people who I have no idea who they are could come up to me even today. And it actually happened to me today. I was just walking around and, or in my case, uh, rolling around. And uh, this person, who I have no idea who it is, uh, steps me over and says, uh, Fry? I said, yeah. So I'm so-and-so. I'm friends with a friend of yours. And we were doubting for you. We, we, we thought of you three years later. Did that give you a type of chizuk when you heard that? Yes, it, it really does. It, it still does. Even though now I, I you know, thank God um, I don't need uh, daily pray, uh, davening. I mean, yes, I'm still paralyzed and that, that doesn't uh, have to change anytime soon. But, um, you know, life moves on. 
We don't think that people remember somebody else's tragedy from about three years ago. But people uh, people remember and people uh, are happy to see when I'm doing well and, and therefore um, are happy to, to share with me how much they were worried and, and thought and davened. It does, it gives, it's, it's surprising how much it could give you. So what happened at that point? How long before you were released from Tel Shomer? I was in Tel Shomer for about uh, seven months until um, till August uh, 2020. Did at you see your point, children during that time? Um, if you, I don't remember if you recall, there was this thing called COVID uh, that hit around then. Uh, so I did not see them regularly. There was a time I saw them every weekend and then course that stopped also because they were you know you had to stay in the hospital uh but i almost always saw them once a week which is also very difficult uh, for them for me uh that easy for the grandparents to to raise grandchildren it, it's it was a difficult situation all around obviously you had to um do lots of uh work on the house you know to, to make it accessible and so i returned to my house uh, with the children towards the end of uh, August 2020. Itai, um, in May uh, 2020, moved from uh, Shari Tzedek to Alin, uh, also near Ushalayim. It's an uh, unbelievable rehab uh, facility uh, focused on children. It's a horrible place, and it's an unbelievable place. It's a horrible place because everybody's story there is horrendous, and Many children who have all kinds of different uh, problems. So it, it, it's heartbreaking to see the things that they have to deal with. On the other hand, it's an unbelievable place because the devotion and um, the magic that they are able to uh, work is really, is really unbelievable. That started the next phase of our life uh, for almost two years. Itai was hospitalized in Aline until... Uh, at the end of June 2022. Uh, he would come home every weekend, but uh, but he was there during the week and, and intense uh, rehab. That's about two and a half years after the accident, right? Yes. And only in uh, July, he was discharged and he started being an outpatient. In Aline, he still goes there three times a week, but miraculously, he has, um, he I can't say he has overcome all of the obstacles, but he is, um, he has a prosthesis that he is trying to walk with his voice, which was, um, very slow. His speech was very slow and it wasn't a very loud uh, volume and it was speech wasn't very easy for him. It was getting better and better all the time. And it's really, um, unbelievable miracle to see how he is today compared to where he was a year ago, two years ago, definitely three years ago, obviously. That's pretty tremendous that he was able to go from that state to be able to really make such progress. That's beautiful. Um, yes. The, the, the doctors in Shari Tzedek are always very happy when he comes to visit. <laughs> they are always in awe of his uh, accomplishments. Um, they're very proud of their save, but they are in awe of, of how he has developed and overcome uh, many, 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 many life obstacles that were thrown at him and it's really it's really a little the other three children who were not in the car how have they dealt with 
I mean, losing their mother, losing a sister and another brother not in the home for a long, long time, a father who has been changed, and also just being with their grandparents for so long and not really having you there. How did they deal with that? I think they dealt with it the best possible. They dealt with it very differently. Um, each child dealt with it very differently. Uh, my daughter does like to talk about it at all, about the loss, about the pain, about the, the agony, about missing her, her mother or sister. She'll mention them, she'll talk about them, she'll do things like they used to do or in their memory, but not mention the fact that uh, she misses them or they. Uh, my son, on the other hand, could talk to anyone about it and tell them the, the entire story. And um, which is also unbelievable to think of that he's willing to share and, and you know, let people in to that kind of a vulnerable kind of place. And uh, the youngest is only now that he's in first grade, he's, I think, understanding a little bit more and is able to express a little bit better what is really uh, what he what bothers him, what he misses, what he wants. But also, it's it's a complicated uh, it's a complicated situation. And even though today they're dealing with it one way, you know, it will hit them on many different levels throughout their life. You can't compare the way a seven year old deals with something and a seventeen year old deals with something, and a fifty year old deals with something. And they will have to deal with this until Mavis, uh, and and it won't it won't get uh, it won't get easier. I don't think. Uh, you know, many times people say that uh, time does, uh, you know, time makes a difference. And, you know, with time, you get used to things. You get used to things, but it doesn't make it easier. Uh, you, you learn to live beside it or next to it or with it, but the pain doesn't really go away. The, 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 you don't stop missing someone just because you're used to missing um, You learn how to live with it or without it. A few moments ago, you said, I understood that I don't understand. And you said, there must be some meaning to this. I have a job to do, if I can extrapolate from what you said. Can mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about what that meaning is? What is that meaning that you find in the context of not really understanding or not understanding at all? There is no answer to take Rav Amital Zatzal's line perhaps further. Not just that the answer isn't good. There isn't an answer at all. It's something that is beyond beyond human ability. So what kind of meaning have you taken out of this? To live a meaningful life does not mean to live a simple life or an easy life or a, a life that all your wishes and dreams come, come true. You live a meaningful life because you have values and you have beliefs and you do the best you can to bring them out to play and, and to make sure they happen properly. And everyone has values and things that they believe in, things that they uh, want to promote or, or or think that they are informed enough to to work hard for or to dedicate their life for them to happen. And that does not change when things don't go your way. Um, I still have my beliefs. I still have my values. I still have the things that I uh, prioritize, things that I think that are important. And if I'm here, then I have to make sure that they happen. And meaning in life is something that we all have. All of us live a meaningful life. We live our meaningful life in our families, in our work, in our 
hobbies and now the things we volunteer in our communities to Amisrael. And it's meaningful to us to be meaningful. And we're willing to deal with many different obstacles and challenges in order to continue to be meaningful. And everyone is meaningful in a different, in a different way. Everyone has their own meaning. Everyone has the things that are important to them. It doesn't mean that if I'm not here, the world will collapse. But if I'm not here, then what I believe in, what I think is important, what I want to promote, probably won't be promoted the same way or not the best way that I think it can be done. And I think that that's what we need to focus on or that's what I, at least I'm focusing on. The things that I, that I feel that are important, the things that I believe in, the things that I want to make sure happen. And um, I focus on that. I focus on what I can do to, to the best of my ability. And um, I believe that if I'm here, then someone thinks that I have what to do, and uh, if, then it's my job to do it. And I'll do my best to make sure that I do it to, to the proper way. And I think many of us uh, sometimes uh, forget that for many different reasons. You know, we take things for granted. Uh, we get used to things. We, we assume someone else can do it, you know. And, and I think uh, sometimes we get a reminder I think Rosh Hashanah is a great reminder. Rosh Hashanah, when we when we when we ask Hashem to remember us, and the Birkat Zichronot, Hashem didn't forget; He doesn't need us to remind. Uh, but we have to remind ourselves that we we're here on a mission, and we have a job to do, and we have to make sure that our job is meaningful enough and important enough um, that it's worthy of Hashem's world, and that Hashem thinks that we still have enough to do that's meaningful enough uh, to do it another year. And um, sometimes we have to update those meaningful, th those things are meaningful to us. We have to update the way we do them or the way we think we need to be doing them. But if we're here, then um, obviously we're here for uh, for a good reason and we're here for to do something meaningful. So it's up to us to make sure we do that. Have any of your values changed from before to now. I don't mean gotten weaker or stronger, but you mentioned now how there are certain values that only Ephraim can convey, for example, or only you can convey it in your particular way. That's true for every person. Are those values now the same values that you espoused beforehand, or have they changed radically, or something in between? I don't think they changed radically. Uh, I'm sure they were updated. Um, I'm sure uh, they were, some of them, or maybe, maybe, you know, prioritized in a different way, or maybe, um, I don't think there's something now that I do, that I believe in that is different than what I believed in before or the other way around. Um, I think proportions obviously uh, changed, and I think uh, um, realizing what's important in life has definitely uh, gotten a boost. And um, I think the way I do it changed. Not, not the values. I think I'm much more patient now. I, I think I'm a little bit nicer, uh, a little bit more ki uh, kind. Um, I have more patience. I don't think I was a terrible person before, but I, I think I'm, I'm definitely a little bit better now. I don't think that when life-changing events happen, uh, that means you have to change your life. I think it's, uh, I think it's a reminder for you that uh, life. It, it, needs to make you have to make sure that you're doing it uh, properly or you know sometimes uh maybe there were things i didn't do with the right way or things i i maybe i wasn't working hard enough or i wasn't doing things uh, that were important enough 
maybe now I have to do them a little bit better. You obviously are a person of very admirable and encouraging and he's a giving faith, just listening to you speak, Ephraim. I'm wondering what that faith is like if when you daven, are you asking God why, even though you don't expect an answer? Or when you daven, are you saying, thank you for my life, which we say in Modim every day, and it has to be very, very difficult, but I can see you're such a life-affirming and positive person despite it. What is that faith like for you, if I can ask? Um, I think faith didn't change. In other words, um, you know, the standard that faith starts where, where the knowledge ends. I didn't know your name was God, but once you told me, I believed you. You know, believe it and stay it as beliefs. I don't, I don't know you, uh, but it doesn't cost me much to believe you. So that's fine. If I really wanted to know, I would do a little bit more uh, research and and make sure. I think the same thing goes with my uh, belief in Hashem. I grew up in a religious house. I grew up in a religious environment. I grew up in a religious uh, community, religious school, religious. Uh, uh, youth uh, movement, everything, uh, you know, knowing God or believing that God was almost uh, almost nature. That's what I was, I grew up and I I knew it. That's the way it is. And, you know, life was going on as regular as possible. So ups and downs were nothing to praise. When this happened, now I had to start to believe. Up until now, I, I don't think I was really believing. I think, you know, we were living life the way we knew it. Now I believe. Now I believe that there is a plan. I didn't. I mean, I knew there was a plan because that's what I grew up on. But I didn't believe it. Now I believe in it because I can't imagine living a life assuming that something like this can happen just because uh, a, a driver decided to drive in a crazy in a crazy manner. I can't imagine living a life assuming something like this can happen because. The world is random. I believe that this can happen because there's a God who, in His plan, somehow thinks that this makes sense. I don't understand. I don't understand it. I can't imagine that this can make sense. But if He is, so, if He thinks that it makes sense, then I believe Him. So when I dive in today, yes, I'm thankful for what I have, and I'm thankful for what exists. And on the one hand, I'm very thankful for those miracles that happened to us. On the other hand. I don't know why I needed them. You know, I'd be better off if uh, if everything was okay and I didn't need miracles. You know, the first time I I drove by the uh, the junction where the accident happened, you know, it dawned to me right away. Well, I'm supposed to say that Hashem made me a miracle in this place. Uh, I didn't feel like I could say that. No, first of all, it wasn't a great miracle. Tippi and Noam are not here. Um, severely injured. Itay at the time was in critical condition. Still, I didn't didn't make didn't make sense to me to say anything uh, remotely related to the world miracle. But yes, I am aware that there are miracles, and I don't know why I needed those miracles. And you know, I would be better off without them. You know, and on continuing living the way it used to be. But when these obstacles hit us. No one asks us early, you know, if we if we accept them, do we want them? Do we want these challenges? Do we accept these challenges? Did we ask for them? No, they they, they just they just happen. It's up to us. We need, we choose the way we deal with them. We can deal with them in a way that will weaken us, and we can deal with them uh, in a way that will strengthen us. 
uh, I don't think choosing the first option is easier when we can uh, go to a negative place, a negative approach, and we could be miserable and we could, it'd be rightly so, you know, no one would judge me. Why, why am I, uh, sad or, or unhappy and miserable and angry and all those things, but I don't think it would make my, the way I'm dealing with it any easier. I think it would make my life even more complicated. So I try to focus on the good. I try to focus on what I can do, I try to focus on the good and the meaningful that I can do and not the bad things that I can't deal with. It doesn't mean that there aren't hard days or difficult times. There are, they happen. And I cry a lot more than I ever used to. Um, but I realized that, that I'm here, so I have what to do and I'm going to try to do it to, to the best that I can. Let's talk about what you are doing now. Can you speak a little bit of Frame about your life today? Now, obviously it's been over three years since everything happened in November, 2019. Your life today looks drastically different from what it did then. Can you talk a little bit about what your life is like now? Yes. Um, six and a half months ago, I got married to Ayelet. Her husband was murdered in a terror attack five years ago. She also has uh, four children. Um, and we are living together, raising a family of eight, uh, which is a crazy lifestyle as it is, on top of the crazy lifestyles we were living before, dealing with uh, the loss of, they were dealing with the loss of their father and we were dealing with the loss of Tzibia Noam. It's an unbelievable thing. Just uh, the daily life is is very different. Raising children that aren't your own is something that is complicated, but everyone is very happy because they realize that what was before is that wasn't any better. And it's also in a challenge on its own, but it's again, it's a good challenge. It's a better situation than we were before. And as the Disney line goes, that they lived happily ever after. So thank God we are living uh, happily ever after. Doesn't mean there aren't any challenges, but uh, we try our best to focus um, on building our family and building a good environment for the kids. Uh, obviously, a good environment for Ailet and, and and I. We didn't choose uh, this chapter because we didn't like the first chapter. We, we obviously, but just because of that, we we knew how much. A good relationship, how much uh, strength that could give, how much, how good it is, and we wanted to build a, a, a good relationship for us too. We wanted to to have that uh, ability. So that is the obviously the biggest change. I'm really glad that you found Ayala and she found you. That's nice to hear. Absolutely. I started working uh, three months ago in Shiva Tavetzion. I am the uh, uh, head of the alumni affair of the Shiva. Besides, obviously, being an alumni myself of, uh, of the Yeshiva, it's a great uh, opportunity to be part of uh, an unbelievable institution that gave me so much. And if I'm able to help in any kind of uh, shape or form, it is a great, uh, great schut for me. And we try to live our daily life as crazy as they are, try to as we like to call it, uh, live a normal life and the not normal life that we are living. It's such a painful story listening to everything you're telling. And at the same time, there's so much inspiration in listening to somebody handle it in such a brave and forthright manner, not pretending it isn't what it is, not trying to downplay 
the terrible losses that you've experienced. And at the same time saying, I'm not going to understand. And I have a choice to either be bitter and angry and no one would judge me, but I'm choosing to do something very different, which is to move forward. I'm not going to say move on, but move forward, carrying this with me, taking the experience and allowing myself to live a full life alongside everything that happened to me. I just think it's just a very, very important for me personally, and I think probably for everybody who hears you to know that. So I just want to thank you, Ephraim, for your forthrightness and for being willing to share your heart, your experience, your faith, and your goodness with everybody listening. And as a final question, if you want to give a message to people listening today, if you want to tell people a message that they can take home, in addition to everything you've said, it doesn't doesn't require any supplements, but If there's any message you want people to hear that's important to them, what would it be right now? I think um, believing in yourself, believing that uh, you have the ability to to do the best you can, to be the best day you can, despite all the obstacles and despite all the challenges that, uh, that sometimes you feel are trying to get you off the road, uh, in my case, almost literally, realize that you're here. And uh, somebody believes in you and you should do and you can do uh, the best uh, that you can. We should all have success in doing it. Okay. Well, Ephraim Rimmel, again, thank you so much. I wish you continued simcha with Ayelet and your Man. new family and Nechama on everything that's happened and continued ability to influence all of us for the better. So thank you. Thank you very much. Subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please visit jewishcoffeehouse.com for other episodes of The Orthodox Conundrum, as well as many other great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Mamanides Minute, Chochmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, and Let My People Eat. I'd appreciate it if you go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. It takes literally two minutes. It's just giving a certain number of stars and writing one or two sentences. Please like The Orthodox Conundrum Podcast on Facebook and join our growing Facebook group, The Orthodox Conundrum Discussion Group, where you can feel free to discuss issues in orthodoxy in an honest and friendly environment. I hope you'll become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast, and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers, and you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest orthodoxy. Just join Patreon. It's only a couple of dollars a month, and you can stop anytime, so join today. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to promote your business, your organization, or your cause? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffee House can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for satisfied clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in one day, or relax and record and let me do the heavy lifting, Jewish Coffeehouse Productions will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let me help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jewishcoffeehouse.com, click on Productions, and sign up for a free consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage an audience now. I'm Scott Kahn. This has been the Orthodox Conundrum on jewishcoffeehouse.com.